blessing to be with you. I want us to, to think about from the beginning, the beginning of not just your life or, or things that you can remember or you've experienced, the beginning of time itself and the beginning of human beings and their relationship to God. I think it's fair to say that from that very beginning, we have always had a complicated, mixed up relationship to rules. There's a part of us, when, when we hear rules given, that wants to obey and listen and trust the one who's giving us those rules. But there's also always a part of us, I think, that is dying to know what's going to find out if we don't keep the rules. To, to figure out things on our own. To, to not have anyone else telling us what we can or can't do. There's a rebellious streak that I find at some level runs through every single one of us, where if somebody says we can't, suddenly it's the one thing we want to try to do. For all of the people in Jesus' audience when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, these are, these are Jewish men and women, and they have grown up listening to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees talk and talk and talk about this collection of rules that they live by. They called it the Torah, the law, and they talked about it all the time. Now, one of the things that they were always careful about is not to add a single word or take away a single word of that law that God had given them, but they did often talk about reflecting on what kind of difference that law was supposed to make. And there was great debate. There is still great debate in the Jewish community, not about the content of the law, but on what kind of difference that law should make in people's lives. And so they called this commentary. That's that's what, they they didn't want to replace the law, but they did, as teachers of, of the law and Pharisees, they wanted to be able to tell people, well, this is what it says, but this is what I think it means. This is not very different from a preacher offering a sermon. But it is rare for us to make the mistake to think that when a preacher is speaking, it's the same exact thing as Scripture speaking. And yet those lines would often get blurred for people in the Jewish community, especially a long time ago when the vast majority of people didn't have access to the written law. They couldn't read it themselves. So they were relying on teachers to quote the law to them and then explain what that law would mean. Well, Jesus, when he's teaching... Not only does he make it clear that he knows the law backwards and forwards, but he often speaks with an authority that nobody was used to to scribes and Pharisees talking with. He makes it clear when he departs from the written words of the law. And he has the courage to say that, that possibly, as people of faith, we've gotten it wrong. That we may know the content of the law, but we've actually figured out how to follow the words of that law without being changed by it, with our, our hearts not being transformed by it. And so he often will take time to strip away not just the words themselves, but the history of those words. Right, The way those words have or haven't been lived out by God's people, and he calls them back to what God has wanted from the very beginning. He makes it clear that he takes the law seriously. In fact, he wants to claim, and he does claim often, that even though he he might be expressing the words of the law differently than anybody's ever heard them before, he wants them to take God's law more seriously than they ever have before. Now, the difficulty here is he gets misunderstood 
And so it starts to sound like he's rewriting the law itself, especially to teachers of the law and Pharisees who are threatened by him and don't like the size of the crowds that he's starting to draw when he speaks and when he teaches. And so they start to claim, no, 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 no. He's, he's committing blasphemy. He's not just a, a, a teacher. He's, he's talking in ways, he's changing things that no human being has a right to to mess with. This is God's word. You don't add to it. You don't take away from it. You talk about it, and then you, you share your thoughts, but you, you don't reinvent God's law. That's, that's wrong. And in Jesus's day and time, that, those weren't just harsh words. Those weren't just criticisms that you had to deal with. If a teacher of the law or the Pharisee got to the right person, and they were able to prove that you were committing blasphemy, you could lose your life for that. It's a dangerous accusation that they're leveling at Jesus And he doesn't run away from it. He doesn't avoid it. He tries to speak very directly to that concern. Open your Bible up to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. We find Jesus tackling this issue head on. Don't even begin, he says. Don't even begin to think that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything there becomes a reality. Therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to keep them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's clear that Jesus, in these words, is not trying to turn us into Pharisees. He wants to turn us into something better. When I was growing up in church, I never really heard people, teachers, preachers, talk much about the old law. They didn't talk about the Old Testament all that much unless they were primarily using it to compare with the New Testament, the new covenant that Jesus has given us and to make me and other people in the church and the audience feel blessed that we didn't have to deal with the law and the Old Testament. But that didn't mean that we didn't have rules. In fact, we had a whole brand new set of rules that replaced the old rules. We, we weren't Jewish, so we weren't talking about keeping the Sabbath or following Torah or offering animal sacrifices, but we talked about things like we all fall sh- short of the glory of God and we need to take every thought captive for Christ and that we should never ever say anything other than the truth and the whole truth. Right? And the list goes on and on. We had a new set of rules that we had a relationship with. And just like the Jewish community that felt like that it was in following the law perfectly, in in keeping all of the rules, that's the only way they could stay in right relationship with God, I often found us in church talking in ways that made it feel like, look, we are called to follow the rules perfectly, and we don't. 
So our recourse is then to keep trying to follow the rules perfectly, to ask forgiveness for those times when we fail, and to hope that we happen to die moments after we have just said a prayer for forgiveness and we haven't managed to mess up again because we were nervous that if that happened, that we, there was a very good chance that we weren't going to get to go to heaven when it was all said and done. We, we were every bit as obsessed, I think, at least in the church I grew up in, in making sure we knew all the rules and we were keeping all the rules. And if we weren't keeping all the rules, that was a huge problem. And it was something we really struggled to admit and talk about because it was such a huge problem. And we really, we really didn't seem like people, you know, if anyone came in to look at us, I don't think somebody would describe us as people who'd been set free from the law of sin and death. Right? We, we were struggling with that. And, and it was interesting to me because it, it seems like we want rules to be a pathway to a relationship with God, but what they usually turn into is an obstacle to a relationship with God. We end up having a more daily, moment-by-moment relationship to rules that we can't keep than the God who wants to keep us. The rules are never supposed to become this obstacle that gets between us and God, but that's how it almost always seems to play out. I was obsessed with keeping rules. There was this spiritual report card, and I wanted to get an A. I really wanted to get an A. And, I mean, that translated outside the church as well. And in fourth grade, I had a teacher, Miss Griffin, bless her heart, and she was, she was good to us, every single person in that classroom, and she was especially good to me. And she had this real simple way of, of kind of keeping, you know, order in the classroom, if you got in trouble once, she wrote your name on the board. You got in trouble a second time, there was a check mark. And then you could get your name and two check marks. Anything past that, you were going home. And it was my mission from the very first day of, of class when she explained how the rules worked that I never wanted to have my name on the board once. But I had a sixth grade friend named Jenny Silva, and we had a, a school where all the classrooms opened to an open courtyard. All, the, all the, the rooms, you know, you had windows that you could see in. And every time she walked by my classroom, she would see my name on the board and possibly a check or two check marks. And she knew me, and she knew the kind of rule keeper I was, and so she was really struggling with what was going on, and she assumed that if there was a problem, it had to be with Miss Griffin. So she went to her mother, who went to my mother, who went back to Miss Griffin. And so I find myself at 7.30 one morning in a parent-teacher conference with Miss Griffin and my mother, who says, my son is a good boy. So I want to know what's going on, why he's getting in trouble so much in your class. And Miss Griffin looks at me and looks back at my mother and looks at me and then kind of puts her hand up like this and says, look, I don't know what to do. Every time he breaks a rule, he comes up and tells me he broke the rule and I need to put his name on the board. <laughs> and then when he breaks another rule, he tells me I need to add a check. And I tried at first, Mrs. Robinson. I tried. I told him, I didn't see you do it. It's not a problem. Just let it go. He won't let it go. He's a guilt-ridden wreck. And it's not normal.
all the therapists in the room want to talk to me afterwards. Um, yeah, so my mom and I have to have this weird conversation in the car where she says, look, son, it's okay if you get away with it. It's, just don't get caught. Is she wearing a wire or something? Like, is this entrapment? I, w- I was. I was a, a neurotic mess about having a, a perfect report card when it came to my behavior. And so every single, every single rule that I'd ever learned from, from the Bible, I tried to keep every single one. And that meant that every single night I was having this confessional conversation with God where I admitted I'd messed up and I prayed for forgiveness and I tried to start over. And then I hoped I went to sleep between that prayer um, you know, quickly so that I didn't have a bad sinful thought somehow or another that I'd have to pray about again. And it would take me forever to go to sleep because I knew I wasn't living up to the rules that God had set out for me. That doesn't seem like somebody who's been set free from the law of sin and death, right? It doesn't. And, and I, I hope that nobody else in this room could tell that kind of a story And here's what, what started to happen is <clears throat> I, I started to resent God for giving rules because they felt like they were intentionally impossible. Because I was a really good rule keeper or so I thought, and I couldn't manage to do it. So why? Why, why were we asked to, to keep a set of rules that none of us could live up to? And they started to feel impossible. And so I would just have this shift that would take place in my heart all the time, where on one hand, I would be obsessed with trying to keep, keep the rules, right? Keep the law. But then on the other hand, I would get sick and tired of it, and I'd just throw in the towel. And I'd be thankful for the fact that Jesus came, and I didn't have to, 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 to worry or, or think about the rules anymore. I, di- I didn't have to think about God's law anymore. It was over. But, but the more that I would go back and forth between those two extreme positions of obsessing about the law and then trying to ignore the fact that the law had ever been given, I found that I, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy with being stuck, stuck in the same struggles and shortcomings, either feeling guilty about those, those struggles and shortcomings or just pretending like there was, there was no part of, of, of a, a role I could play to change that. Right, just giving up. And and I wasn't really afraid. I got to this place where I wasn't afraid that I was going to be punished eternally for not having a perfect track record. But I was starting to get more and more afraid that I was missing something really, really important about the the life God wanted for me here and now. Not, Not the life he demanded of me, but the life that he dreamed for me. I was worried that I was missing that. Maybe I thought grace was was better than I, I had even been, been taught. Maybe it, it was something that was supposed to, to transform me. Maybe God loved me unconditionally with a love that longed to change my condition. And maybe that could all be true at the same time. Maybe, maybe God's love for me wanted to not only save me from hell, but also from myself and the hell I created and the ways that I would treat other people or fail to treat other people, the, the brokenness that I experienced and the broken not, brokenness that I, I would cause other people to experience. Maybe, maybe grace could mean that with God's help, I could grow past this place that I had been stuck for a long, long time. Maybe that's what 
kind of relationship God wanted me to have, not with his rules, but with him. My, my view of the law has changed throughout my life, but I think it's probably taken the most significant change now that I'm a father of, of two little girls where I have to be a rule giver. I mean, I guess I could opt to not be a rule giver. There are times that keeping rules and giving rules and enforcing rules seems way harder on me than it does on my daughter's. But I love them. And I don't want them to stay little girls forever, right? I want them to develop into fully formed adults who make their own choices and move through this world in a way that, that I would be proud of, that would honor God and, and honor Christ and, and be lives that are led by the Holy Spirit. And so I, I give them rules now, hoping that someday they won't need the rules. It'll be who they are. Right? So I, I give them rules that, that they resent right now, like you have to eat your vegetables and you can't watch hours and hours of TV. And I get that unique tone of, oh, Dad, you know, that, why? You know, why can't I eat just piles and piles and piles of candy? Well, because I've seen you after piles of candy, and your mother's going to be home soon, and she's going to know what I did, right? She's going to know what I failed to do. And I, it's not just rules for, for just basic daily life. It's rules to keep them safe. I mean, they have to hold my hand when we cross the street. At some point, it... It would be nice if they would hold my hand when we cross the street just because they want to hold my hand, right? But, but at the beginning, it's you have to hold my hand. This is dangerous. You don't fully understand it, but I, I have rules for them that are just for them to grow up. So they have to pick up their dirty clothes and put them in a hamper, and they have to make their bed. And they can't trick somebody else into doing it for them or... You know, because this is part of what it means to grow up. I, we, we have rules that help them think less about themselves and more about other people because none of us come hardwired to think about other people first. All right, so we teach them, you know, if people are already visiting, you don't interrupt them. You wait until they finish so that, that you can talk to them. You, you need to be somebody who, if you notice that you have something and somebody doesn't, you share it with them. If somebody doesn't have a place to sit, you ask them to come sit with you. We teach them these rules, and we enforce these rules, hoping that someday they won't need the rules because it's going to be who they are. I have to believe that that's what God was hoping for when he gave his law to his people through his prophet Moses. He wasn't wanting them to run through life with a rule reference book that they had to keep looking up. What am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to say here? What am I supposed to think here? What? This is supposed to become who we are. And, and we need to keep reading it. I'm, my life is predicated on the fact that we, we need to keep opening our hearts up to God's word. But, but the point is not to keep it on the surface and be experts in the content. The point is to let God's word have a home in your heart. To know it by heart. 
And when I say to know it by heart, I don't mean that you can quote it by heart, though you will be able to do that. I mean it'll be your heart. God's heart will be your heart. God's thoughts will be your thoughts. God's emotions will become your emotions. And you won't have to stop and check and wonder. And brothers and sisters, this isn't something you just hear once and then you decide, hey, that's who I want to be, so I'll just wake up tomorrow and that's who I'm going to be. It takes a lifetime of listening to God's word and trusting God's word and living God's word until you've got some sort of spiritual muscle memory of the soul where when you're in a situation and it calls for you to be like, Jesus, you know what to do next. It's an instinct. It's a kingdom instinct of what to do next. That's why God gives us a law. You know, and I know all of us are in this room from different backgrounds. We grew up in different churches. Some of you may have grown up in this church, but I know that many people haven't. And you may not relate at all, but I'm guessing some of you relate to growing up in a church setting where it's all about moral perfection uh, stacked up against a, a set of rules that nobody can humanly live out perfectly. And so you feel constantly like somebody who's not good enough. And no matter how hard you try, you feel like you're basically a failure. And, and you're hoping that you'll just make it long enough and you'll say the right things and you'll, you'll pray the right prayers so that right at the end, God will let you in anyway. But that doesn't sound like somebody to me who's been set free from the law of sin and death. It doesn't sound like somebody who's living the kingdom life that is about hope and not fear. I'm guessing there's others of you who grew up in a church setting that's at the very other end of the church spectrum. Where it's like grace without growth and forgiveness without faithfulness. It's, it's like the, the only thing you really need to do is... is is accept what Jesus has done for you, and then there's no sort of natural response to all that Jesus has done for you. And that can't possibly be what God wants either. I I find that both of those extreme positions leave you stuck where you start. They're legalism. They're just in two different directions. And Jesus doesn't want that for us. Jesus wants us to understand He wants us to see. He wants us to know. He wants us to experience. That we're only going to be who we were created to be when we work hard to receive the gift of grace. It's not one or the other. You can't work hard to deserve the gift of grace. You can't work hard to make God give you grace. But in my life, it has taken hard work to keep my heart open, to keep receiving that gift of grace that seeks to change me. And depending on where you come from, there's different parts of that message that are challenging. There's different parts of Jesus' message that are challenging. And this morning, he's trying to offer us a better way than one or the other. He's he's trying to choose a middle way, a way that will help us go beyond either being slaves to a law or completely abandoning the wisdom and the heart of the law altogether. And and we don't want to do one or the other. We want to find a better way. We want to find a middle way. We want to find this way of Christ. I don't give Riley and Reese rules for 
for the purpose of making them feel like they can't live up to those rules. I don't set arbitrary benchmarks that I know they're going to fail to be able to reach so that they'll always feel like they're dependent on my approval and they're not quite sure they're ever going to get my approval. That, that's not the kind of parent I want to be, and I can promise you it's not the kind of Heavenly Father you and I have. God did not create you to force you to be the kind of person he wants you to be. God created you so he could love you into being the kind of person he created you to be. But you have to let that happen. I think sometimes our greatest sin struggle is resistance. It's not any one thing we do or fail to do. It's just this this stone cold resistance at the heart of who we are to let God be God and for us to understand we are his children and we don't get to replace him. To let God be God and to listen to what he says and to trust that when he says this is the best way of life, this is the good life, that he's always not just telling us the truth, he is showing us the truth. I think sometimes... The sin that you and I have allowed to take too much hold of our heart is that sin of self-focused resistance. And the way past that is to pray and to ask and then to partner with the Holy Spirit to break into our hearts, to break into those places of resistance so that we can be set free from the law of sin and death. We can't find the kind of life that Jesus is describing, the kind of of life that the law was always describing on our own. We, We need someone to show us what it looks like. We need someone to help lead the way. I really believe from the beginning that the law of Moses was always, it was never a finish line. It was supposed to be a signpost, a roadmap for the kids out there, GPS, right, of, of where we're headed, where we're trying to go. It was not supposed to be a replacement for a relationship with God. It was not supposed to be, well, if I keep these rules technically, but they're not changing me, then I've, I've done the bare minimum requirements of what it takes to get from God what I want God to give me, whatever that is. You know, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they have somehow managed to figure out how to follow the letter of the law, but not be transformed by it. And Jesus says, you may think you're keeping the law, but you're not. You may think you understand the heart of the law, but you're running from it. Because the law is what God is trying to use to change you. But you can only be changed when when you're open to it. You can only be changed when you partner with that change process. You can only grow up spiritually when, when you're open to God helping you grow up spiritually. Here's what I'm convinced happens in Jesus. That God has decided that due to the hardness of our hearts, due to those places of resistance inside of us, he he can't stop at having sent a collection of ideas set in stone. So instead, he makes this amazing decision to send us a collection of actions set in motion in the life of his son. And he says, can you see it? Can you see it? This is where we're headed. 
this is where we're going. This is who you could be. If you just, if you try, I mean soul deep try to let God lead you. To not use rules as a, as a, a replacement for a relationship but to always understand that the reason God gives us rules is to turn us into certain kind of people who live those values, who know how to live those values, who, who have the spiritual imagination to apply those, those core values in all kinds of different situations and, and in all kinds of circumstances and in all kinds of relationships. Jesus is where we're headed. Jesus is the fulfillment, the, the end result of what a life lived in full trust and obedience to God looks like. And, and we have to decide, brothers and sisters, if we want to admire that way of life from a distance or if we want to chase after that way of life and make it our own. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be listening to Jesus as he describes God's heart in the rules that he continues to give us and hope that we can not only hear and read about and study, but start to live those rules until we don't need them anymore. We don't have to reference them anymore. We know them by heart. And he's going to talk about areas in our life that I think we really struggle with having strongholds of resistance, right? He's going to talk about how we treat people who frustrate us and make us angry. He's going to talk about how we think about and live out our sexuality. He's going to talk about what it means to live in a covenant relationship of marriage and how we need to live open and honest lives to always tell the truth about ourselves and, and our motives and our intents. He's, he's going to talk about how we, we treat people who have wounded us, and he's going to talk to us about what it means to to be people who love those who are our enemies. I promise you, in the next six weeks, you're going you're gonna to hear a sermon that bothers you. I'm going to hear a sermon that bothers me because I'm going to find that while I might have figured out ways to follow most of God's rules, I haven't allowed God's way of life to completely transform my way of life, that I'm resisting. So brothers and sisters, I'm just asking you, as you go forward in this week and as we go forward in this study together, would you please do the work that only you can do? And that is, will you, will you listen? And will you, will you see? And will you try your best to trust? That when the God who created life tells us that this is the good life, that he always knows what he's talking about. That he always knows better than you or I understand or know what really matters in the end. And the kinds of things that will change us from who we are and to who we, we long to be. From the very beginning of time, we have had a complex, mixed-up relationship with rules. And what, what we need now is what we have always needed. It's what we needed then. We need God. We need our God to come to us, to live with us, and show us the way home. But in order for that to happen, we have to open our eyes and open our ears and watch and listen and learn. We're going to sing now together, and as we do, we're going to have some shepherding couples that will be outside these double doors. They're there to receive you, to pray with you, to talk with you. You can learn more about our church. You can learn more about what it means to commit to following Jesus. If you have any question or concern at all that our church could help you with, please go to those couples as together we stand and sing.